Good morning. Has everybody uh, been enjoying their summer? Enjoying it? That living is easy? Remember that hymn? Summertime. It did. Oh, bro. You'll love this message this morning. Um, I, I've been taking it so easy, I didn't, haven't shaved this week. Just, but don't fear, I'm not going to grow a beard. I'm not nearly as fetching as Pastor Brent with a beard. Um, I just look like a fat guy with unwanted facial hair. So, and my wife will hardly kiss me. <laughs> so I'm going to shave pretty quick. <laughs> we are uh, uh, going to, this whole month, I'm going to be talking to you from uh, lessons or verses out of the lexicon. The lexicon is, a, is a, um, a book that's compiled that if you read through all the verses each day over a period of three years, you'll cover all the major stories and the Gospels and, and through the Scriptures. It's kind of a fun thing to do. And uh, so I'm just picking some verses from that. So if you want to look ahead each week, you can just look, on, look up online and see which verses we'll be talking about. I'm focusing particularly this morning on 2 Corinthians, a text from Paul. Very odd text, a very challenging text, uh, a very depressing text. And uh, <laughs> I hope you'll be depressed with me this morning. So Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. To what end? To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Please get this out of my life. This is messing with me. This is making me weak. This is preventing my progress. Get this away from me. And he said to me, my grace, what I'm doing in your life right now, Paul, is sufficient. I don't have to do anything more right now. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is actually made perfect in weak places in your life. Now, Paul does a 180 here. Instead of just trying to pray away his weaknesses, he actually leaps into his weakness. And he says, therefore... Because his power, he told me, is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness places, my weak spots, so that I can taste that power he's talking about. This is why, for Christ's sake, I actually take delight in. I leap toward my weaknesses. I leap toward God when I've been insulted. I move and exalt and boast in my hardships, in my persecutions, in my difficult spots that leave me vulnerable and seemingly denied. I embrace those places. For when I am weak, when I find the places where I'm weak, if I just dare to embrace that and let it mess with me, I find strength. Now, there are several things about this text that, that strike me as odd. One of them is that, I mean, I just don't think we think about weakness the way Paul is claiming God thinks about weakness. He says, God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is come to maturity or brought to maturity in your weakness. So Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses. I don't boast about my weak places. <laughs> I generally try to cover them up. And uh, work on them in secret, trying to make sure that I'm stronger, hoping no one will discover my weak places until they are past tense weak places, and then I can show you my power. To me be the glory, great things I have done. 
Or, or when I encounter a set of circumstances that are debilitating, they seem to have an upper hand on me, I'm telling you what I do, I fight like a banshee to beat those things. I try to pray them away. I try to faith them away. It is not in my DNA or in my computer programming to actually boast about them, to say, this is making me weak and entering into it. Accepting the weakness and knowing that from there God will work, but I'm not going to try to avoid it. I'm going to enter into it. Now, that, this is crazy thinking a little bit for us. But this is most powerfully displayed in the incarnation. Almighty God empties himself, according to the Philippians 2 text, and doesn't shun the virgin's womb, but comes into the womb as an infant, born as a child, grows up in a world that's fallen, is sought after to be killed. And at the end of his life, he starts embracing not only the weakness of humanity, leaving his power behind, but embracing the sinfulness, that kind of aberrant weakness, to the point when he's on the cross, the scripture actually says he became sin, willingly embracing the horror. He embraced the insults and the rejection, took it on himself on the cross, and died, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? He entered the worst and the horror of all of humanity, all of its weakness perfected. And what happened? It changed the world. Because Christ, the power of God, was released in the weakest place. This kind of trajectory of thinking, that we're to leap at our weakness instead of avoiding it. You know, I, I don't know if you ever do this. I, I just did it over at the, the campus. There was a little, little uh, grasshopper that was walking across during the worship service, just over here at the 10 o'clock service. And I looked at him and I thought, he's got wings, you know, he's ready to go. And I thought, and I, so I did. I said, take me. I'm a murderer. Bug murderer. They're part of, they're demons. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that you don't think of jumping on your weakness because it can't do anything. It doesn't seem like it does anything. If anything, you want to avoid it. But Paul is saying, no, no, jump at it. Don't, when you encounter places that force weakness on you, you and I should embrace them because they should trigger faith in us, not flight, not fight right away, but faith in us. In fact, the tone here is that we should seek out weak places and sit right in the middle of them looking for God's power. This goes against my own instinct of trying to be strong. Um, something in me thinks I'm supposed to be strong, that God wants me to be strong, that God expects me to be strong, that I should shoulder up, buck up, that I should straighten out, shape up, get it right. And, and I just need to try harder, just need to pray more, just need to ramp up spiritually. Uh, whenever I start seeing weakness in my own soul toward sinfulness or weakness in my own life with circumstances, I think I just want to do something about it. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to overcome things like sin and overcome circumstances in our lives, but how we overcome them is very critical. We don't overcome them by avoiding them. We overcome them by entering into them and looking for him to come with his strength. It's a very different thing. So I encounter texts like this. Three times I pleaded to the Lord, fix this. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I've got to ask myself, do I believe that? I think God's power makes me avoid weakness. I don't think it's perfected in weakness. 
Uh, or you run into texts like Matthew 5, where Jesus is in the, the, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, blessed, in Matthew 5, 3, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. That word poor literally refers to abject poverty. It means you have nothing. That, that there you are, if you're finding yourself in moral weakness, or there you are when you're finding yourself in circumstantial weakness, that you look to God and you say, I have nothing here to fix me. I need you. That's the person that the kingdom comes to bear with. God's not looking for you to be big. Jumping into our weakness does something deeply spiritualist. Jumping into our weakness does something deeply cleansing for us. I don't know if you've ever confessed your sins to anyone. Just told them. You know, I, I found it difficult to find people I can tell my sins to because, you know, it would just be difficult to do that. Most of my sins that come out are the ones that I'm so stupid, they just came out. So I have found friends over the years. One of my, one of my close friends right now is a Catholic priest, <laughs> which is great because when I tell him my sins, he'll go to hell if he tells anybody. <laughs> but I cannot tell you how embarrassing and horrifying it is to tell someone your faults and your sins, to look at them in the eye and tell them it's something deeply powerful about it. And that's the kind of thing that happens when we go to God and we say, God, I, I, one of the things I love uh, is reading some of the stories of the historical saints. And one of the stories is a guy named Brother Lawrence. He's dead. He lived in the 1600s. And uh, he was a Carmelite monk in a, in, a, in a monastery, and he, there's a book written about him. He never wrote anything. There's a book written about him called Practicing the Presence of God. You can get it on Amazon. Simple little book, really sweet. Most, many of you here, I'm sure, have read it, uh, about 70 pages. And it just basically tells the story of his life. He, and what's interesting about Brother Lawrence is he was a monk, but he didn't really like prayer. And he didn't really like, you know, doing all the stuff that monks do, the religious stuff. He loved cleaning pots and pans and cooking and washing up and he, he said, I just feel the presence of God. It's a really cool little story. But in the midst of that story, they ask him a question. He's being interviewed, and the book is published posthumously, you know, you know after he's dead, about him. And, uh, and, and basically what, it, what the book says is that he, they ask him, what do you do when you find yourself in failure, like moral failure, sinning in some way? And he basically said, I find myself there <laughs> more often than I like. He said, but here's what I tell the Lord whenever I fail. He said, I say, Lord, this is the best that I can do, apart from you. And if you don't help me, I am sure to do it more and do things worse. Something very, very powerful. To recognize that when you're failing in some area of your life, that you're repeatedly failing in, that you can just simply come to God and say, God, this is the best that I can do. I'm, I'm poor. I, I'm in abject poverty. I, I can't fix myself. And somehow in embracing that, just like he embraced us in our humanness and embraced our sin on the cross, when we embrace our failings, when we embrace our weak spots, somehow that opens up the way for God to begin to make himself strong, which, which is a challenging question because what if God does not want us to be strong on our own? What if he wants us to embrace our brokenness and embrace our weakness, actually boast in them because we know that in those spots, his strength will come if we dare to enter them with faith 
What if the doorway that God enters with his power is the doorway that we, when we embrace weakness on our part, where we don't, we don't, we, we look in spite of the shame. We say, you know what? I'm just inconsistent. That's the problem. I'm an inconsistent moron. And I will continue to be an inconsistent moron. I'm not going to try to cover it. I just am. And God, I need your help. And what if somehow in that moment of embracing whatever it is that makes us weak or whatever it is that's weak in us or weak around us or we're weak in, that it begins to tip the scale to God showing himself with his power. Now, I want to talk about two basic areas of weakness quickly that we should embrace with zeal and admit to. The first, is I'm already alluding to, is moral weakness. And the second is the weakness caused by trouble and tragedy. So moral weakness, bottom line, truth, we're all messed up. And when we don't have repeated patterns of sin and we don't really look like we're messed up, we tend to feel better than other people which, who mess up, which is a worse mess up than messing up. Right? Think about the story. Jesus telling about the two guys that go up to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee. The other guy is a tax collector. Pharisee stood up and prays about himself. God, I thank you. Like, I'm so wonderful. I'm not like these other guys, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. I like this dude over here, this tax collector. Twice a week I fast. That's pretty happening right there. Twice a week. I dare you to fast. It doesn't go very fast. They should really call it slow. I slow twice a week. I mean, really. I give a tenth of all I get, right? But he's got, he's got something going on. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. I, I, I am a mess up. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man who acknowledges his inability, who acknowledges his poverty, his weakness, and embraces it, this man, rather than the other, will go home justified before God. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. See, look at it. If you humble yourself into the weakness that you're experiencing, if you'll humble yourself, God will jump in and exalt. If you try to be strong and conquer it and fix it yourself, and you're exalting yourself, you will have little power from God. In fact, you will make the all-powerful one weak as far as you're If you're a repeating offender, just go to God in your weakness. If you've got problems in your life, just go to God in your weakness. It's okay. He's not freaked out by your stupid. He somehow, I think, listen to texts like this. This is Psalm 103, and it's one of the favorite texts all through history of the saints. You'll hear this repeated. This is a beautiful passage that they used to sing and pray, still pray. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, boatloads of love. He will not always be angry, nor will he harbor his anger. He does not treat us like we should be treated, as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to what we've done, our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his love for those who just acknowledge him, who just fear him. No, he's there. Acknowledge it. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as a father has compassion on his kids. How many of you have, you know, how many of you have raised kids, right? And you know, 
when kids act, one time I had this, this guy call me up about his six-year-old daughter, and he was all freaked out. He called me. I was on, I was, used to do a radio show in, in Milwaukee, and this guy called, found, my, found my number, called, called the church when we were pastoring in Wisconsin, and said, I, I really have a situation with my daughter. I think she's demon-possessed. I'm thinking to myself, what, what, what made you think that? She eating cats or something? Live cats? What would make you think that? And I asked him, I said, what, why would you think she's demon-possessed? She's six years old. He said, well, she doesn't want to share her toys with her siblings, and she causes little fights. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, oh, wait, 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 getting something from heaven. Hold it, hold it. I said, I got, I got something from the Lord. I said, what, what? I said, she's a six-year-old. It's okay. She's acting like a six-year-old. How many of you know that sometimes you just give your kids space because they're kids? They're poor, unfortunate souls. Right? They're little. I mean, even if they're teenagers, you've got to give them extra space because you go, you go crazy when you're a teenager. Your hormones make you stupid. But you think you're smart. God bless you. Be warm, be filled. So he has compassion on his children. So the Lord, as a father does, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. What this is saying is he's not expecting that much from you. And he understands when things go wrong in our lives. He understands that you were abused. He understands that you have imbalance in your system. He understands why you struggle with this or why you struggle with that. He gets it all. And he does not freak out about it. He doesn't want you to pretend you're not having trouble. He wants you to enter into it and admit it and boast in it and say, you know what, I may be a complete moron right now, but God is at work in my life, and I embrace this, and I'm thanking you, God. I'm, I know I'm going to continue to be stupid if you don't help me, but I'm trusting you to help me. And in that honesty and in that embracing, you start unlocking something that will transform your life, and you will look different because his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the claim. The reality is God is not thrown by our sin. And let me tell you this, it's discouraging, but it's true. You sin a lot more than you even realize. You know, you can stay distant with the Lord and, uh, you know, think I'm doing the, the Decalogue, you know, the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to church, and I'm tithing, and I'm, you know, uh, going to Lent services, or whatever, and you're just doing these little things, and think all, all is well. But if you, I double-dog dare you, if you will start moving toward God, in, in a season of prayer, extra season of prayer. That's what I love about Lent. It's supposed to be this. Some people don't do it, but if you'll just start moving toward God, you'll find out that as you talk to him, he starts talking to you about stuff you didn't even know you were doing that were bad, that was bad. I'm, right now, I'm in the midst of a, a seeking season. I, and, I, and, and, and the reason I am, there's several reasons why. One of the main reasons is because my son David and his, Kate, his wife, and my three precious little grandchildren who are just little and need their grandpa are moving to Phoenix. What is wrong with this picture? It's bad for me, personally. It's wonderful for him, actually. But you know, I don't care about him. The point is, <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So I'm praying, and, you know, just, not just that, but just, you know, praying into God, you know, we're, we're, the church is coming to this one. Thing. Just a lot of num number of things. So I'm praying, God, I'm speaking to my heart, extra time in prayer, extra time seeking, and whenever I do that, I always find out he starts pushing on me things. 
this is the text, John 16, 12. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. Well, if you start moving in and you start experiencing his strength, he thinks you can bear. So, example, you know, I'm talking to this lady, I think it was a lady, medman guy, and anyway, I'm talking to them, and I was trying to bring out this point, and I exaggerated a little bit. My heart kind of twinged just a tad. But the next morning, I'm in prayer, and I heard, you're a liar. I may be exaggerating just a little. You're a liar. I'm telling you, God will get all up in your business. And, and I'm, if God would show us everything that's wrong with us right now, we'd all quit. We'd all just quit. But here's the bottom line. You suck, I suck, we're in the land of the suck. So what you and I have to do about it is we have to say, God, I just thank you. You know everything about me. You know everything that I don't even know. And I get to move towards you in your presence. And in my suckiness, I get to trust you. And you will somehow start changing things in my life. This is what he's talking about. I, I think we need to move toward him and look for his power. Here's a great prayer that I found several months ago, six months ago, probably. And uh, I've been praying it. Cool prayer. And here's how it goes. My God, I firmly believe that you are here. I love you. In my life, you're here. And you see me perfectly. I get a little nervous when I say that. And that you observe all my actions, all my thoughts, and the most secret movements of my heart. <laughs> you know how you have movements in your heart? They don't necessarily become big thoughts. They don't necessarily become actions, but they're movements. Movements of envy. Movements of jealousy. Movements of anger. Movements of lust. Movements of laziness. And all of those movements, whether we like to admit it or not, offend God. He knows that. But just because they offend him doesn't mean he's not running at us. And so the prayer goes on. You know everything about me. You permit me, a sinner who has so often offended you, you permit me to remain in your presence. Think of that. As many ways as you offend the Lord, and I offend the Lord, he permits us to stay smack in his presence. Not only permit us, watch. It is your goodness and bounty which command me to come to you. Not only does he permit us, he commands us. Bring your crud. Bring your weakness. Bring your ineffectiveness. Bring your selfishness. Bring your naughtiness. Your sin. Write to me. He's not thrown by it. And so the prayer ends, give me grace. Give me your grace. Therefore, to pray as I should. Prayer is the result of weakness. We only pray when we know we're weak. And send your Holy Spirit upon me to kindle my heart with the fire of your love. So the point is, is that you and I should not try to hide our weakness. We should run to our weaknesses, expose our hearts before the Lord and others that are close to us, if it's appropriate, and say, God, bring your power to bear here. Then the last thing, second thing, is that we should enter into the weakness that comes from trouble or even tragedy, which is trouble on steroids. This was at the very heart of the comments that Paul made earlier when he said, Lord, this devil thing is tormenting me. Fix this. 
this circumstance, fix this. And God says, no, I, I, I'm actually going to be made, my power is actually going to come in the way that you're compromised. And so Paul says, I'm going to boast about the stuff that happens, my weaknesses, when I'm insulted, when I have hardship, when I'm persecuted, when I face difficulties, I'm going to boast in them. Think of that. You're insulted. What's the, what do you feel when you're insulted? Anger. You want to insult back. Jesus, it says, was insulted, but he didn't insult back. He kept committing himself to the one who judges righteously. He was rejected. He didn't reject back. He kept committing himself, this is First Peter, committing himself to the one who judges righteously. See, somehow, when we, are, when we face hardships, what we're supposed to do, according to Paul, and this is a little crazy, but what we're supposed to do is enter into it and let the weak, the vulnerability of it, the nakedness of it, the ick of it, touch us. And as we embrace it, we articulate our hearts toward God and we trust him in the midst of it. That's what he's asking us to do. And you and I know, I don't know, well, I'll say this about me. I think it's true about most modern American Christians is that we think God wants everything to go swell for us all the time, right? And we think the things are not swell, that we've somehow sinned, that we haven't prayed enough, or our faith is too weak. And it's true. God wants to bring good things into our lives. And he does promise that he'll give us life more abundantly. That's true. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have trouble. In fact, listen to a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ in John 16, 23. This is one you can go home and claim today. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. Just put that on your lips, Lord. I'm claiming this. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, generally we don't embrace it. We run from trouble. We run from heartache. And, but what this is saying, this reading today is saying, embrace the trouble. Look for God in spite of it. Do not whine. You can drink a little wine for your stomach's sake, but do not whine. Don't second-guess yourself. Stay thankful for the good that you do have. Don't blame people. Just embrace the weak spot and look for God. And this is where God, according to Romans 8, that famous text, that, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who loved him. He, this actual things that he's talking about, in all things, he's talking about in that context is stuff that's bad. It's not that God brings the bad. It's that God's so good that when bad happens in a fallen world, he can make it into good. If we'll love him and follow him according to his purpose, we have to take the long view that God is after good for us. But there's the bottom line. You got to trust him. And trust ain't easy. I need a volunteer. I saw that, Rick. Have you ever done a trust fall before? A trust fall? Turn around. Let's see just how trusting this man is. How much faith he really has. Okay, put your arms out like a cross, like you're on the cross. Okay, now just fall back into my hands. Oh, that's pretty good. You see that? He didn't even look. Okay, let's try it one more time. Whoa, that was really good. Do you see that? Dude. Now, most guys that I do that with are checking it out, and when they start going down further than they thought, they put their foot back. Do you know why? Because they don't have as much faith as Rick does. Because when you... Trust, it makes you vulnerable. When you trust, you're out of control. And that's why you enter the weak places. 
the insults, the hardships, setbacks, disappointments. And instead of trying to skirt around them using your faith, you jump into them and you embrace them and you say, God, I'm in this. Let it mess with me and let it position me to trust in you. If you don't do that, you won't see much of God's power in your life. You can't skip out of it and say, power, go. Because God will say, no, no, no. no. My strength is made perfect in weakness, not in your words you're throwing at me. I'm not your servant. The other text for this particular day from the uh, lectionary is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Watch it. Jesus' story. He left there. He goes to his own hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and people who heard him were amazed. Where did this guy get this stuff? What kind of wisdom? This is amazing. He does these miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And they took offense at him, it says. And then in verse 4, it says, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, only among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there. He could not do anything very powerful there. His power didn't show up very much there, except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed a few sick people, and he was amazed at their lack of faith, their lack of trust. How many of you have older kids? If you, you know working with older kids, you can only do so much for them. They got to do something for themselves. You can pay for their whole university experience. But if they don't go to classes and they just go to the bars or go to parties all the time and they don't study, you can do nothing else. Because you need them to cooperate with you. That's what's happening here. Jesus was there trying to help these people with his power, but they wouldn't cooperate. They wouldn't faith him, trust him, ask him for their help. And as a result, They were exalting themselves instead of exalting him, and they ended up being powerful, and he ended up being powerless in their life. Some of us, God is powerless in our life. He's all-powerful, but he's powerless in our life because we hide, we deny, we refuse to embrace. We think God's unfair that we had any problems to begin with. Instead of saying, you know what, God, you are good. No matter what it looks like, you are good. And secondly, God, you are just. You will make things right. And sometimes that's hard. I get that. When, you're, when you face tragic situations, when you have a loss of life, or maybe the doctor has told you that, that you, know, you have this debilitating disease, or, or maybe you have involved yourself in some sort of a sin that's mortally wounding, whether it's something like a crime or destructive addiction or uh, adultery or any kind of thing like that, or, or you're in a situation where you, you have just been, I've been in the room where, where parents in the hospital, where parents have lost a teenager. And the mom and dad just melt right to the ground. I've seen them fall to the ground. Compl- crying out. So I've seen them actually screaming. Completely, completely oblivious to any social you know, appropriateness. It doesn't matter. The, the pain is so great. It, it, it's so massive. The darkness is so dark, and the, the sting is so painful that, that, that they, there's nothing to even say to them. Just, you have to just stand there with them. To try to say anything cheap is just impossible. There's some horrible events that are so horrible, you, you just can't imagine how can any 
How can I ever embrace this weakness? How could any power come into this? And the truth of the matter is, I mean, whether you're looking at somebody in their personal lives, I mean, as we age, let me give you a little hint. Some of you that are getting older, you get this. The older you get, the less power you have. And we'll go to the place where we'll start to see our friends die and we'll start losing control of our own lives, control of our own bodies, and we die. Most of us fear that kind of thing. The Christian enters into that. Saying, God, even in the weakest spots in my life, you're there. And if I just move towards you, you'll be there with me. Huh. So counterintuitive. But it's true. The reality is one day, and I'll stop with this. In fact, stand with me. That way you think I'm done. I get an extra minute. And then when Preston comes up and does longer, you'll blame him for making the service so long. And I would have accomplished my goal. Listen to this text, Revelation 21. See, some of the pain that we taste here will not be resolved here. Some of it will. You can pray into a horrible situation and you can see God bring good out of it right here. A starving child or a result of a tornado, you know, we can pray for those people, but then we can actually go and do something. Help rebuild, help feed the child. We can overcome evil with good. So sometimes there's something we can do right here, right now, and we need to do that. But there's some things that are so devastating that they'll never, they'll never be fixed until there's a new heaven and a new earth. It doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that God's not just. He is. It's just that justice won't be seen until eternity. And that's where we read this text in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because there's some things broken in the old one that can't be fixed. Not yet. And the first heaven, first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, at last, this was God's ultimate dream. Now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will live with them. Literally, they'll see it. They'll see him. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And watch. He'll right every wrong. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because the old order of things has finally been righted. One day, every wrong you've ever tasted will be righted. If you don't enter into, even I don't care what has happened in your life, if you've had deep problems, you've been abused, I mean, all this horrible stuff has happened to you, go to counseling, go get some help. Why? Not, be, not because you're trying to fix everything. But you're trying to say, God, here is my messed up life. I'm bringing, I'm coming to you in my weakness. Right wrongs in me. And trust God to start putting things together and working things out. And some of it may never be totally dealt with. I mean, I'm expecting to be kind of a semi-moron till I die. There's just some things broken in me that all I can do is look at my wife and say, Honey, you take over here because I can't trust me. Is what it is. But I'm telling you, move, not run from your weakness because his power is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? Amen. Get out your money. You can actually be seated now. <laughs> we, are, uh, we are excited. Before we close today, um, we uh, have an opportunity. Many of you saw out here, and uh, I think we talked about that a little bit earlier, saw some of the progress that's being made, especially in the children's area. 
um, the new paint on the walls and the windows and that kind of kids check-in that we're putting together and all that stuff. Um, really exciting progress is being made, and we are hoping to get a good chunk of that done by um, our first kind of combined service together, July 22nd. We would love to get a good chunk of that done, get most of it done uh, so that we can all um, be in here together with all that completed. So um, you have an opportunity today, if you'd like to participate in giving towards that, we're going to have a, a second offering here that we're going to pass. We actually have moving boxes. The ushers can go ahead and start passing those. We have moving boxes because we're moving. Isn't that cute? And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to pass these boxes down. If you would like to give towards that, that would be really, really great. And then I'm going to dance as kind of an interlude for that. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to dance, actually. That was a joke, completely and totally. But they go ahead and maneuver those boxes down the rows. I know they're bigger than our typical offering baskets. <laughs> yes, there's a lot more room in those for more money. <laughs> we are excited about this. This is a great time of us coming together, these two campuses coming into one. Excited to see people that we didn't know we even went to church with. Very fun. All right. As you've had an opportunity to give, let's stand together. Lift our voices. This is one of the unique things that we get to do each week. As we lift our voices together, we come with all of our weaknesses, all of our brokenness. We come together as a community. We offer our praise to God, and he creates something beautiful out of that. Let's lift our voices together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. As we go today, as always, we want to remind you of God's blessing for your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you safe in his arms. May he make his beautiful face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May you be guided and transformed by his grace. May he turn his countenance towards you so that you know that you're not in this life alone. And may he give you peace, a peace that passes all of your understanding. May it guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team will be here at the front. Have a great week.